As far back as the late 70s, Gary Wright has been challenging his audiences with pioneering instrumentation and cutting-edge technology. As a visionary, songwriter, performer, and all-around musician, he has spent more than 30 years shattering conventional musical ideas and creating chart-topping hits, such as Dreamweaver, My Love is Alive, and Really Want to Know You. These timeless hits reflect his endless genius as they are played globally on a daily basis. He's collaborated with George Harrison, Steve Winwood, Mick Jones, and Joe Cocker. Today, you'll even find him working with rap artists such as Third Bass, Tone Loke, and Busta Rhymes, as well as Eminem, Sultan Peppa, Joan Osborne, and Maya. He's currently starting his second tour with Ringo Starr's All-Star Band while promoting his newest musical creation, Connected, his first pop album in over 20 years. From a life that's torn apart What used to work for me before Just don't do it no more And I can't find no mercy In the darkness of this night From this dream won't you wake me Cause I'm crying 
Inside Music Cast welcomes the talented Gary Wright. Hey, Gary, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, Gary, let's get right down to it. First of all, congratulations on uh, the release of your new album called uh, Connected. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, me and Rick were talking before the session, and uh, we're thinking, boy, 20 years before since your last recording, why did you keep us waiting so stinking long? <laughs> well, it's not that I stopped recording. It's just the kinds of albums I was doing. I, I did a couple of world music albums. Yeah. And an ambient music album, right. just something that you know, as an as an artist, sometimes you have a a need to get something out mm-hmm. of, of your system or create something that you've always had a desire to do. Uh-huh. And I had a desire to make those kinds of of records. You know, like I wasn't driven that you know, pop album, pop album, pop album. You know, that's that right. Exactly. My, that's not my style of making music. Mm-hmm. So this this album, I wanted to do kind of more in the spirit of how I had made Dreamweaver with a sparse production using few instruments, but making each instrument count, really, in a big way, whatever it played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that it's it's a very clean, very simple mix, and although it's got a very analog sound, um, you know, it's you can definitely see the, you know, hear the similarities of, of you know, the Dreamweaver as to, you know, how it overlaps and transcends into, into this project. So it's, uh, you hit the target if that's what you want it to do. It's very nice. Well, thank you. I was curious, where, where did you record this project, and, and what was sort of your, your process of, of song creation, content creation, and, and you have some stellar musicians, obviously a lot of well-known people, such as Ringo Starr and uh, Joe Walsh and, and a few others on there. So I was just curious about your process in recording the album. I, I have a studio in my house. It's a pro, full Pro Tools studio. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, the actual way I recorded it, I mean, I, just, I have all my synthesizers and sounds, and I actually put down all the parts... And then I had, you know, the drums were on machine, and uh, I changed, you know, I, I brought in a real drummer of Ringo played on one of the songs, Satisfied, uh-huh. and I had Will, Will Kennedy from the Yellow Jackets right. play on the rest of the stuff. But more or less the parts that I had actually constructed, uh, you know, I, I actually, he was, they, played, they played the part, you know, that worked with all the bass lines and everything else that I had done. Mm-hmm. And I did most of the backing vocal parts, but then I brought in some two girl singers, Valerie Pinkston and Liza, uh, Lisa Vaughn, right. to do some of the backing vocal parts. And basically, that was it. Yeah, I worked with my engineer, Rob Calhoun. Did you bring in any outside uh, producing help, or did you produce no. it on your own? No, I, I, don't, I don't use outside producers. I produce all the things on my own. That's mm-hmm. neat. That's neat. You know, you're very well respected in the synthesis and the keyboard realm. On this one here, did you use... Uh, was it a blend of analog and digital patches, that type of thing, or or uh, where did you, where did you retrieve your sounds from on this? I, actually, you're right. I, I, it was a combination of analog and digital. Mm-hmm. Um, I still use the original Minimoog that I used on Dreamweaver that I played the bass line. You're on. kidding? That's great. Well, I wondered that. Yeah, it had a similar and sound. I, but I also used the Korg mm-hmm. M3 because that's a great synthesizer. It has some great sounds on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, various little bits and pieces I used, like a Roland JX-8P and a sure. Roland Super Jupiter and a synthesizer called Omnisphere, uh-huh. certain things, distorted reality, just little bits of all different kinds of things. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, I, I, used my, I used my studio like a, like a chef uses uh, spices. <laughs> a little spice of this, a little yeah. spice of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to take a break for a few minutes and check out a track from... Gary's latest release, Connected. Uh, This is a track on the album called Satisfied. Satisfied 
sunshine by your side right here where I want to be long denied desires of a lifetime satisfied the day you came to
was the opening track from the album Connected by today's guest, Gary Wright. In the mixture of uh, the spices to create your sounds, um, you're known for some really deep bass grooves, and I've always appreciated that. Um, you know, when I was just talking to Rick a few minutes ago, and I said, you know, Gary's still got this groove thing going on, and when I hear your your syncopated, real funky uh, moog lines, I'm, I think of of guys like David Frank, David Gamson, I mean, um, you know, Steve Ricaro, the, the guys that can really do that. Not everybody can create a, a very uh, a very R and B groove like that. What was what were the modules that you used to create that sound, or did you just use one basic source for that for the for the Moog sounds? Or you said you used the real Moog, didn't you? Well, I, I used I used a mini Moog, the oh. same one that I had for Dreamweaver. That's cool, right? Uh, and and that was that was for the analog bass sounds, which I which I used in about half the album, and the other half was done on a chord, mm-hmm. the M three. The M three. It's funny that you mentioned those musicians because Steve was the first keyboard bass player that I used in my old keyboard band when I went on the road. That's right. 76. <laughs> David Gampson uh, produced the remake of Dreamweaver. No kidding. Wayne's World. Wow. Okay. All right. David and Steve have been past guests of Inside Music Cast. In, in fact, you mentioned Steve Porcaro. We were just chatting with him the other day, and he sends, uh, in fact, just yesterday, he sends a big hello to you. <laughs> he does, and, uh, and, and he actually told me this. Uh, he said, if it, if it wasn't for Gary... He said he'd be working a drive-through at Dairy Queen. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I'm quoting him oh, right here on the email. He says he's a lovely guy. Isn't he great? I um, had a, he was so young when I asked him to play that I had actually get permission from his father. Did you really, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> well, he also you, you're going to get was a, 16. I yeah, think at the yeah, time he was 16. You know, you're going to get a kick from this because he also mentioned that um, he said he said he was the first to teach me the essentials of the road, and then he says first of all where to eat. He told me everything about Monty Python. And, <laughs> and then he said also some things that I shouldn't even mention in mixed company. So, <laughs> oh, so you're, you know, he, um, he really has a, a good affinity towards you. And, and you know, he, he also mentioned one thing that you'd also get a kick of. He said that if it wasn't for his performing with you, he said when David Page and his brother Jeff heard him perform with you, that that's when they decided to ask him to go on the road with him with Boss Gags. Wow. And later Toto, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Well, you know, I, I must say, you know, he went he went from like I mean his first gig that he got. Yeah. We were playing like eighty thousand, hundred and twenty five thousand, you know, seat arenas with Yes and Peter Frampton and Fleetwood yeah. Mac. Yeah. Right. So it's not like he got in on the club level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So he really, you know, he got his <laughs> he really got his experience. I just uh, somebody today on our Inside Music Cast Facebook site Posted a link to a, uh, uh, a video. I think it's of it was it Love Is Alive. Yeah, sure is. is. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was a show you did probably back in I don't know when it was. It was probably the late. Oh, it's seven- probably the Midnight Special in 1970. No, it was an outdoor stadium in San Diego. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, do you remember that? And it, <laughs> yes, I do. I, yeah. That was with uh, Yes and Peter Frampton. Yeah, that's right. Baseball stadium. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was great because you saw Steve Percar up there right Steve. next to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that you're uh, uh, you're getting ready to go out with Ringo Starr again, and uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this this upcoming tour. And you've toured on several Ringo Starr all-star band tours now, right? This will be my second. Oh, it is your second. Mm, uh-huh. okay. okay. I thought maybe you'd done more than that. How did you initially hook up with Ringo? I met Ringo when I played on George Harrison's first solo album, All Things Must Pass. Okay, wow. all right. And uh, and we played on, you know, all his subsequent albums together. Uh, and I also played on Ringo's first two singles, Back Off Boogaloo 
and yeah. don't come easy. I just wanted to mention a couple of other musicians that are out on this tour that have been past guests here on Inside Music Cast. One, of course, is Richard Page, and uh, the drummer on this tour is Greg Bissonette. And I just uh, uh, wanted to ask you, you know, you've probably been in rehearsals with those guys, and tell us your thoughts about playing with those two. Oh, they're great. They're both great. Uh, Greg is an awesome drummer. He's amazing. Just killer. Yeah. And Richard's a great bass player. I'd never actually played bass with him before. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, it's the first time we've ever worked together, but it's great. We have a great, great rapport. I, I mean, I know him from Mr. Mr. because Steve Farris, the guitar player in Mr. Mr., was, is a very close friend of mine, and he used to actually live with me for a while when Mr. Mr. had just won the American Music Awards oh, and cool. had all these right. things going on. So uh, I know him you know, from that, and, and also his co-writer that wrote Broken Wings and Kyrie Lason, sure, John yes. Lang. Right has written songs with me. Even on the, on the new album, he wrote one song called Give Me Some Time. Oh, good. Okay. All right. And I think, wasn't Steve Ferris also part of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a recent incarnation of Spooky Tooth? That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, we did a tour together a year ago. We were pleased to see Richard back out. You know, he's it's, he's been kind of... Uh, on hiatus for a while, so it was, it's really cool. I, I, yeah. Eddie and I are going to try to make it up to one of the shows here, and uh, it'll be great to see all of you. And a couple other other musicians on the tour, Rick Derringer and Wally Palmer from right. the Romantics. Right. Uh-huh. It's been a while since I've been to one of Ringo's shows. Will, do all of you get a crack at doing your, your own tunes, right? Yes, we, we have two, two songs each in the show. I, I would imagine you'll do one of your classic tunes, but are you going to, are you going to unveil any of your new uh, songs from Connected on this tour? No, uh, this is just... This is just a hit. That's kind of a concept hits. of the Ringo Band. I'll do mm-hmm. Dreamweaver and Love Is Alive. Yeah, right, sure. but I'll be touring, you know, in the fall uh, to do my doing my new stuff. I already did one tour in April. Okay, where I did uh, it. It actually went really well. I played my new songs and got great response from the audience. Yeah, we'll have to keep in contact with you and find out where you're going to be so we can pass it on to our our guests. Yeah, for sure. Our, our listener. No doubt. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about Ringo. Eddie and I recently caught a concert by Colin Hay, mm-hmm. who has also been on tour with Ringo in the past. And he told us a story. He told the story to the crowd anyway about uh, being out on tour with Ringo and how you know when he was on stage, he, he would occasionally <laughs> like glance over at Ringo and think to himself, "Oh my God." That's Ringo Starr. <laughs> and he said he had that same experience almost on a nightly basis. And, you know, I thought about that. And I thought, you know, in a way it must be kind of surreal, uh, you know, in many ways. But obviously you've been a friend of Ringo's for a long time, so you probably don't have that same reaction. Oh, no, I do. I do. I remember the, like, the, first, the, first, the last tour I did. I mean, I'll never forget when we were rehearsing and I was singing Dreamweaver and I turned around and I go, wow, there's a Beatle playing my song. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> because, I mean, you, you can't deny the fact of the, the actual uh, amount of fame, you know, that he had. Absolutely. Or has, you know, I mean, he was a Beatle with the biggest rock group ever. And yeah. so, you know, that definitely has a lot of meaning behind it. Right. I like your description, that amount of fame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, well, the uh, um, I just wanted to mention that on this tour, you've got about 30-plus dates, and you're going to start in Niagara Falls on June 24th and, and wind up in Los Angeles at the Greek on August 7th. So um, check uh, – I guess do you have the tour dates up on your site? Yes. Okay. TheDreamweaver.com is my website. Okay. Great. And we have, all the, we have all the dates. We have my CDs, T-shirts. Yeah. We have some actually – some really cool stuff. I made a – uh, a USB, which goes inside a little kind of necklace, and you wear around your, you know, just around your neck, like a little necklace with the Oh, ohm, like a little thumb drive? called an ohm pendant, and there's a thumb drive inside it, so you pull the thing apart, and you pull out the thumb drive, and there's my entire album, which includes some extra bonus tracks. That's cool. 
one of which is a song that I wrote with George Harrison back in 1971 that's never been released, so I hmm. put that one on, and there's a second track with George playing guitar that I also did, did in, in the 80s. And there's some never-seen uh, video footage of George and I together and stuff of me talking about making the album. So there's a whole bunch of great things on the website that you can't find anyplace else. Well, you're making this easy on me for the transition because uh, on your website, you have, you were just talking about George also, you have a memoriam to George Harrison where you talk about traveling with him to India in 1972 and how you became fascinated with Indian culture and philosophy. And, you know, my initial curiosity, obviously, is how you uh, became connected with George. Well, I was asked by Klaus Vormann. I, got, I was producing an artist in the studio. This is when I was living in England. And Klaus called me and said, George needs a keyboard player. Are you busy? Can you come down? I said, sure. And I dropped what I was doing and went over and uh, met him. And I was playing on the first track I played on was, was uh, Isn't It a Pity from All Things Must Pass. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, then he invited me back the next day and, and the next day after that. And I wound up on playing the, on his album. And then we became close friends mm-hmm. over the next you know couple of years. And he... He knew I had a fascination for Eastern philosophy as well, so he gave me all these books, and we went to India together in 1974. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Interesting. You know, the next question I've got is, uh, we have, Gary, we have several correspondents throughout the States and also one in Germany, and our correspondents in Florida, Kim Riley, she asks a question for you. She says, this trip to India in 72 uh, was during the, the, the Wonder Wheel time, but she is curious to know what transpired during the journey that inspired your upcoming coming, uh, solo musical themes? Um, well, when she said upcoming musical themes, was she referring to the Dreamweaver album? I believe so, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, well, um, it definitely had a very profound effect on my whole life. When As soon as I, my feet touched the soil, I went, wow. Hmm. I felt I had been there before. You know, it's just, it's a very profound place, India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not like any other country that I'd ever visited. And... George had, Ravi Shankar was kind of our host, and he, sure. you know, he really showed us the great things about India. And George gave me some, several books that were written by an Indian yogi master named Paramahansa Yogananda, and just to familiarize myself with the Indian philosophy and culture. And I, I was reading these books, and one night I was reading uh, one of his book of poems, and I came across this line that went, When at night my mind weaves dreams... On that sacred cloth do I emboss the words, God, God, God. And I kept looking at that paragraph, and I took out my writing journal, and I wrote down the word Dreamweaver. So that was the genesis for the song. Hmm. And then, you know, several months later when I was back in England, um, I picked up my acoustic guitar and I wrote the song. You wrote it in an hour, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It took me about an hour to write it. <laughs> That was the most, uh, the best time I ever invested in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. I mean that that song, that song has had such great. Uh, it's had such great longevity. I mean, it's yeah. you know, I mean, just think about the. I mean, actually, it's in the most recent Toy Story movie, right? Yeah, that's right, and it's the most popular scene. That's if you go to YouTube, that's the number one scene that they play. <laughs> no doubt. We just watched a little while ago. In fact, we posted a link on uh, our Inside Music Has Facebook, and it's hilarious. It's just so wonderful, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I was really blessed that you know when you write a some, something like that, you have no idea, you know what. Right. But that that it actually became a classic song really was, a, you know, a blessing in my life. Yeah, you know, I've got two. I've got a daughter in college and another one that's a junior in high school, 
and they've known they've known your your work and Dreamweaver. They know they've been singing that for years now, you know. And it's just so funny how how it just um, it just transcends the generations, and it just because it's a it's a good piece of work. And like you said, you're blessed to have that because uh, a lot of people have to work a lot longer than one hour. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. Well, I wanted to go back and talk about. Uh, some of the earlier days in your career, and you began. I, I read some information. I don't know too much, but you began your part of your career as a child actor. Is that right? Yes, I was uh, on Broadway in a show called Fanny, which was a, was a big hit back in the fifties. I was uh-huh. like uh, eleven, twelve years old when I was in the show, and Florence Henderson played my mother, and I sang a duet with her every <laughs> night. And wow! I was on the Ed Sullivan Show with her, and. Uh, but then, I, I mean, I could have had a career back then as a child actor, but I didn't want to. I wanted to lead a more normal life, you know, and play baseball with my friends and stuff right. like that. Right, So I kind of left that. And But it was in my blood, you know, having done that. You sing every night with, with a full orchestra and on Broadway, and that kind of it just gets into your system. And, then wow. I, and I'd always loved music because when I was in my dressing room, I would listen to Alan Freed and the early rhythm and blues sure. and rock and roll and... <laughs> and so, and then, then I taught myself really how to play the piano. Okay, you were self-taught. Yes. Really? At what age? What age did you start playing? Probably when I was like around twelve, thirteen. Yeah. When I was in high school, I was in high school bands and college bands, and just I loved music, loved playing it. So, when was the first time that you actually went from, uh, you know, you, you played in the bands, but the first time that you actually touched a synth? That would have been when I was in Spooky Tooth. Really? Okay. Yeah. It was probably... About 68? No, later than that. It would have been like around 73, 74 when I bought my first Minimoog. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, I was going to ask you about Spooky Tooth and, and how you initially uh, became involved in that band. Well, when I, when I left uh, college, I, I graduated college and I went to medical school for a year, but I didn't decide I didn't want to be a doctor. And yeah. I went to Germany to stay in... I had to stay in school at the time because of the Vietnam War... Mm-hmm. And so I uh, was doing postgraduate work in psychology, and, I, and after a year of that, I decided I really didn't want to be an academic either, and I wanted to take a little break from my studies, so I put a band together and uh, back in the States, and I, we all came over to Europe, and we were doing shows, and I had known Jimmy Miller, the producer from New Jersey, where I grew up, mm-hmm. and he was a producer, and Chris Blackwell, had, he had met through, I don't know how they, I think Chris Blackwell met Jimmy when he was in New York, asked him to come over to England, and Jimmy produced Spencer Davis, Give Me Some Love and I'm a Man. Right. And then he produced Traffic as well. So I had known mm-hmm. Jimmy, and I would known that he was working with Chris. And with this band that I was in, Chris saw me performing in Oslo, Norway, and asked me to come back to London with him because he had this other band he wanted to put me together with, and I came up with the name Spooky Tooth. And... Uh, that's how the that's how the career of the band started, and Jimmy produced our first two albums. <laughs> I was thinking of the the name Spooky Tooth, and I don't keep I don't mean to keep asking you about the genesis of things, but where did where did <laughs> how did Spooky Tooth come up? I mean, I'm always curious about how bands you know discover their names. Well, I had a friend of mine who went to Yale, and he used to write this atonal poetry with all these crazy name combinations, uh-huh. and he sent me this list. And I read, we read them, you know, as a band with Chris one day in, in the office, and I read all the names I had, and we all agreed that Spooky Tooth was the best. <laughs> so that's how, we, that's how we came up with it. Easy enough. Uh, you know, Spooky Tooth was, was really an innovative uh, band, you know, and at the time, especially at that time, because you were one of the first few bands that were actually using, you know, two keyboards. Uh, that's right. To, you know, an organ and a piano. 
and um, you know, and, a, and two vocalists like the way we did it too. That was that was a, a kind of a unique thing too for the time. Yeah, there, there weren't so many other bands doing that. I think maybe the band was was doing that, and uh, Mata Hoople maybe. Um, you know, and actually, so many players from Spooky Tooth eventually ended up in other great bands, such such as Mott the Hoople and, and uh, Humble Pie, Foreigner, and some others. And and uh, and of course, you had such a successful uh, uh, solo career after that. Had had you ever? Uh, you weren't in any other bands post uh, Spooky Tooth, were you? No. Okay, I didn't think so. No, it went right to my my solo career with Dreamweaver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now this next question comes from uh, uh, Kim Riley, one of our correspondents, and she wants to know. Um, first, what brought you back to Spooky Tooth in 73? Because I think you had a, a little hiatus in there. And and what was it that made you go back out on your own shortly after, in 1974, to pursue your solo career? Well, um, Spooky Tooth initially split up and after we did the second album. Actually, we mm-hmm. did a third album. It was called Ceremony. But that wasn't a Spooky Tooth album. It was Island Records put it out. It was a, it was a Pierre Henry album. It was an electronic mass. Okay, hmm. and uh, we didn't. We never wanted that to to be an album. We just did it for the you know the this French electronic music composer Pierre Henri asked us if he could collaborate with us, and we thought, well, it'll be an interesting project, but it's not our album. Mm-hmm. We thought it was going to be his album, and then Island put it out against our our disagreement with them, and mm-hmm. uh, it bombed, and the band split up basically after that. So I went out, and then I did my first two solo albums, Extraction, and Footprint. Right. That's when George played on Footprint. He helped produce one of the tracks. And uh, I did one more album after that, which was with this band Wonder Wheel, which Mick Jones was in. Right. And um, right after that album didn't get released, I decided, well, I'll go back and I'll do some more Spooky Tooth stuff. And mm-hmm. I asked Mick to come back with me, and we used, uh, we did actually three more albums. Uh, you Broke My Heart, So I Busted Your Jaw was the first one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Witness was the next one. And then the last one was The Mirror, which never got released. So when that happened, I kind of got fed up with the whole thing with Spooky Tooth and Island Records, and I left. And Mick uh, went off and started Foreigner, and I did the Dreamweaver album. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You know, Spooky, Spooky Tooth has had uh, recent reunions, and I believe in 2004 and again in 2009, uh, and it was primarily led by uh, Mike Harrison and yourself. Uh, what was the extent of the reunion? Uh, was this primarily a tour, or did you guys actually have new music for these reunions? Well, we did the tour. The first tour we did was in 2004. We did uh, two shows in Germany, mm-hmm. and um, I decided to bring a, a film crew with me and, and film it, and I, we yeah. could release it as a DVD. So we did that, and then we went back again uh, two other times, once in February 2008, which was actually quite a successful tour. It was a sold-out tour and to promote the, the album. Mm-hmm. And then we went over uh, last year in June to do a 50th Island uh, anniversary concert, and we did a couple of shows. We did some shows in Germany. But I really don't have any desire to visit that again. I did that, and that was kind of like, it was okay, mm-hmm. but yeah. I wasn't crazy about it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, if you guys don't mind, I want to stop again for a couple of minutes, and I want to play the title track from Gary's new album, Connected.
could win Then I felt inspired Deep inside title track from the album Connected, the new release from today's guest, Gary Wright. You know, when you talk about different markets, Gary, and you've you've traveled everywhere playing, and when you compare the United States music appetite as compo- as opposed to, you know, Germany, Europe, even Japan, what, what kind of uh, differences uh, are you finding? And even today, what, uh, what kind of expectations do you have uh, as you go la- launch out into tours? Well, I mean, it's different. Every every country is obviously a little a little different. It, it's funny that we just did a press conference today here with Ringo, and, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody asked about somebody said something I can't remember. But Ringo answered this question. He says, "Well, Canadians are known for their like kind of down humor. <laughs> they were kind of they're not a very highly responsive, you know, country in that. I mean, they're the way they are as an audience. You know, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, they're more they're more reserved. I right. think that's what he uses mm-hmm. meaning." Um, 
But I think in Europe, I mean, German German audiences are really great. I mean, they're very, very loyal, and they love music, and they're passionate about it. They're, it's fun to play over there. Right. And and it's great over here as well too. You know, it just it just all depends. You know, on the on the on the city I guess you're in at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. We've just found that over the years, you know, like for instance, bands like Toto and other guys that are West Coast go over there to to uh, Norway and Amsterdam and Germany, and and that appetite has just never died. It's as if as as if everybody here in the states is sort of like. Okay, they don't get it anymore, or whatever. Or just they've just totally disconnected. But the other other uh, other uh, countries in Europe are just like, man, they're just still sucking it up. They're just like, give us more, give us more. You follow me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, they're they're very loyal, and and it's fun to play over there. It's it's different, you know. Um, but the economy over there right now is not very good, right? And they're not really there's not a lot of tours happening. Yeah, as it is over here too. It's it's down quite a bit, I think, this summer. Right. Well, I think that's because, you know, <coughs> promoters have gotten kind of greedy, you know, charges, charging these outrageous ticket prices. People right. are just saying, I'm not going to do that. Right. That's exactly right. It's kind of interesting you mentioned that because Live Nation uh, recently, um, I think for the month of June, here in the States anyway, they've, they've dropped all of their fees, all of the, uh, you know, for, for any concert you want to go to, if you buy it through through them, they've actually dropped all of their, you know, all of the crazy fees that they tack on to these ticket prices. So I just recently purchased uh, tickets for a concert, and the face value or the value of the ticket was actually what I paid. So I, I thought that was kind of a, a bold move. I think ticket sales, I think, nationally are down right now. And I think sometimes those fees that they slap on, like you just mentioned, is the impetus for people not to want to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, if you think about it, you know, there's, there's a lot of competition for the entertainment dollar. There's, sure. You know, there's buying a CD, there's going to a movie, there's renting a DVD, there's, you know, buying an app for your sure, iPhone or sure. whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, when people are, you know, confronted with that and pay, paying 150 up to $400 for a concert ticket, they're going to think twice. Right. Yeah, and, and it's not far-fetched because some of the prices are that much. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's sure. true. So, <laughs> kind of crazy. I just have one more, um, one more Spooky Tooth-related uh, comment. And two of our correspondents, Scott Gross and Uwe Reith, had, had quest- similar questions related to the current incarnation of Spooky Tooth. Uh, and I think it's more related along the lines of Shem von Schreck, who, who's also been one of our past guests here. They want to know if Shem is still involved in Spooky Tooth, and, and they want to know uh, about your experiences working with Shem and when he toured uh, Germany with you. Right. Oh, Shem's great. He's a fantastic musician, and he, he's actually a Heldon tenor in opera. He actually right. lived in Germany in, uh, for last summer and uh, for a while, and he was doing opera. Great bass player, wonderful person to tour with, and he's in my solo band that I just did the tour with in last April. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the last Spooky Tooth tour we did. It, had really, it was really a good band. It was, it was myself and Mike Harrison from mm-hmm. the original group, and then we had... Steve Ferris from Mr. Mr. on guitar, Shem von Schreck on bass mm-hmm. and vocals, and Tom Breckline, who played with Chick Corea and sure. some other people. It was wow. really a good band. Yeah. So, but I've, I've used, uh, on the la- I, I really like Shem's playing. He's such a great player. Not only does he play regular bass, he plays great keyboard bass. Mm-hmm. So that's what he did when he came out with me. You just mentioned Tom Breckline. Uh, I just saw him last uh, Friday night uh, playing with Kenny Loggins. He, he's a phenomenal, oh, yeah. phenomenal right. drummer. Yeah. Well, you know, you've certainly been busy with your new album, Connected, and the current tour with Ringo Starr's All-Star Band, but uh, what else? I mean, I know that tour goes through August. Uh, what happens, or what are you going to be up to after that? Do you have any other projects on the horizon? Um, 
I probably am going to be touring in the fall to promote Connected. Okay. Uh, and maybe even do a tour of Europe. And I'm thinking of maybe you're starting to write a book next year. No kidding. Very good. So a specific topic, or is that secretive at this point? Um, probably, you know, I'm, I haven't really quite zeroed in, but it's probably going to be about my life, my experiences, my perspectives, my personal growth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to just be a autobiogra- autobiographical, you know, well, this year happened, this this happened, this sure, year, you know, sure, it's going right. to be right. more interesting. Very cool. Very yeah, and I'm, I'm also, uh, Martin Scorsese filmed me uh, in a, new uh, bio doc, bio documentary film he's doing on George Harrison. Okay. So that's coming out next year as well. That's wonderful. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's so, interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be that'll be good too. So I'm I'm always busy but right now I'm I'm promoting connected and mm-hmm. and uh, so far we're doing really well with it. People have really responded positively and we're we're trying to build up the you know the website appearance and and uh, the traffic that go to it. I should also mention to you that one of the things that I, I'm doing with that USB uh, thumb drive thing uh-huh. we were talking about before right. is the original demo of Dreamweaver is going to be on it. No kidding. The yeah. demo, that's awesome. And some, and some other, uh, you know, the, some of the original recordings that I made when I did the Dreamweaver album. That's really cool to know. Yeah. yeah. That's neat. You know, I wanted to ask you something that uh, I, I'm really glad you did it, but, uh, you know, you did a remix, sort of an R&B, funky town type of thing on Love is Alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm serious. That that You know, I went to one of the pages on your site, and that thing was just rotating, ra- spinning round and round. That's and, right. <laughs> and I played it on my headphones, like, for 10, 15 minutes, because it was so funky. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, I'm glad you like it. I, I you know, a lot of artists... <laughs> I would never revisit a hit they've had but <laughs> it I works. think the song is is such it is a funky kind of song yeah. and with the technology we had we have now as opposed to what was back in 1976 you know, you can play that song and really make it sound funkier. Sure. You know, Gary, I was I was telling Rick, I said this song has playability on 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 a radio potential oh, yeah. right now, really huge. Yeah. And I tell you, if if you uh put it with the right spin and what I mean just tight I mean it it really could be a, it, cool. I mean it captivated me. I love I I live for the groove and your bass lines just totally oh, get me, you know. You. And uh, when I heard that I'm like Dude, you know, <laughs> and you know that's my son singing with me. Well, Are you serious? I, I wanted to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Okay, that's yeah, he's got uh, a great voice. That's neat. Uh, who helped on the rearrangement of of that uh, funky version? Was it? Did you do that all in your studio? Uh, no, I did part of that actually in um, Florida. Uh huh. Okay. I worked with a producer named Dakari. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who would work with actually some p- more like pop bands like. Yeah. O-Town and, and people like that. Okay. And, you know, to your point, I think uh, a, lot of, a lot of people wouldn't touch a, 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 a classic tune, like, but that one really works. And so, yeah. and anyway, I'll let that did go. You, did you retract the vocals for that, though, or is that, is that going back and using the original? Oh, no, no, that's all new. That's okay, all that's new what stuff. I thought. That's, that's what awesome. I thought. Well, Eddie, uh, you'll enjoy this because Gary was kind enough to pass along uh, this funky version of Love is Alive to me recently. So uh, let's stop for a second and check it out.
tell me how that sound We on a higher ground, past the cloudy sky Up in the heavens trying to define space and time Keep the love, keep it up, keep the faith Use the hate, greatest story ever been told Should reciprocate, appreciate the moment Your life ain't alive If you check my pulse, my love is alive Funkified version of Love is Alive from our guest today, Gary Wright. Well, I wanted to say, you know, thank you so much for spending time with us. And I also wanted to give the opportunity to let us know where Connected can be purchased. Sure. Connected can be purchased on the website, my website, uh-huh. on iTunes. Is that the dreamweaver.com? At the dreamweaver.com, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the best place probably to get it. But you can also get it on iTunes. You can order it on Amazon, um, you know, and it's probably in a lot of the indie kind of boutique record stores, although that's becoming more few and far between now. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Uh, but that's, it's, you know, all the, you know, Napster, I'm sure all those places so you can get it. Well, very good. Well, we certainly wish you luck on the tour this summer and, uh, of course, your tour when you go out in the fall. And uh, thank you so much for spending time with us You're here welcome. in Inside Thanks so much for having me. Thank all you, right. Gary. We'll Take see you later. Care. Bye-bye. 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 Special thanks to Gary Wright for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zape, and Uwe Reith. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com, where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook, where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Yeah.